You're listening to The Crossroad Podcast with Joey and Kylie Willis. Through redefining effective leadership, The Crossroad Podcast explores what it means to live a life of intention and purpose. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of effective leadership and vibrant living. Welcome to the second episode of The Crossroad Podcast. My name is Kylie Willis. I'm here with my husband, Joey Willis, and we have a guest today named Dave Cooner. So in the last episode, we talked about what is wrong with leadership in our society. And uh, we talked a little bit about the definition of leadership and the crossroad where character meets influence and why character matters so much in terms of leadership. So today, we actually are going to have Dave join us. Uh, Do you want to say hello, Dave? Hello. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, And Dave is a really good friend of mine and Joe's. Dave is also a leadership coach and developer. He has been in leadership roles for the majority of his career. Uh, And we just wanted to have Dave come on and share with us a little bit about his experience with leadership and how leadership applies in all of the different roles within our lives, uh, whether it's homework, uh, friendships. um, And so, Dave, I would love it if you would just go ahead and introduce who you are, um, what you do currently, and then talk a little bit about your experience with leadership. Sure, yeah. Uh, again, hi, Joey, Kylie. Uh, thanks for having me on. My name is Dave Kudert, and I am in Midland, Texas right now. I am married, have four adult children, and four small grandchildren. Um, I spent most of my adult life in the military, in the U.S. Army, where I've had leadership roles from uh, almost right away all the way through my 23-year career from leading up to two people all the way over a 1,000 people. Wow. And then after my retirement from the military, I was uh, uh, I came to Midland, Texas and uh, working here now in an oil and gas company called Cronquest Operating where I'm a production manager. So again, I'm in a leadership position where I manage and uh, coach about 50 people or so, or a company of about 250. And I do all the leadership and development training for our company. Uh, I'm a published author with the book Servant Leadership. And I get an opportunity to go all over the place, just like you guys do, and coach and mentor others in business and leadership opportunities. That's great. So Dave, uh, <laughs> we so so everybody out there knows we actually learned about these leadership tools from Dave. So this is a bit of the uh, um, pupils interviewing the master. <laughs> um, so Dave, as you're talking about your experience, the question that sticks out to me is, is how has your perspective on leadership changed as you've gone along? Like what's different about the way you view leadership today than um, when you started before you got into the military? Well, you know, a lot of folks are on sports teams, you know, through high school or they're, uh, they're in a, in a entry-level position, maybe in their place of employment. And they always think about how they would do it different. If I were in charge, 
this is what I would do. So I think we all look at that. And of course, our leaders are in a little glass house and everything they do wrong or do right, we get to see, we get to observe. And we always think about what we would do if we were in charge. And then all of a sudden, you're in charge. And I have to share truth with somebody. Somebody's not meeting an expectation. Well, did I give a clear expectation? And then the hard part of leading and managing starts to come into play where I have to sit down with somebody and explain to them how they're not meeting a standard. And that's really where I think everybody kind of hesitates and says, well, I really wanted to be in charge, but now I don't know if I really want to be in charge because it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It's funny because we always talk about, you know, this whole leadership thing would be easy if it weren't for people. (laughs) The whole reason to be in a leadership position (laughs) and – it would be easy without them. <laughs> so you can't have it without them. But a lot of us are, are more predisposed to leadership than others. I think we're, you know, when we talk about spiritual gifts, you know, one of the spiritual gifts they talk about in Scripture is leadership. And some of us are more genetically predisposed, you know, more extroverted, um, maybe a little bit bigger physical presence And for them, it's a little bit easier to step into that leadership role where if you're introverted or you have less of a physical presence, you may be a little more shy, it's more difficult. But it doesn't mean you can't do it. Anybody can be a leader. And that's they always talk about that in the military. Anybody can be a leader. So we're always trying to develop leaders. Some people are going to be further along that road than others and take to it a little easier maybe, but anybody can be a leader. And so my my whole position on leadership before I became a formal leader was that I would do it better. And then I stepped into the position and recognized just how difficult, how complex this really is. Even though it's really easy, it's really hard. All I have to do is lead people. Really easy concept until you actually try to do it and recognize how hard it actually is. So I think that my perspective changed almost immediately from being able to cast my stones at others until I was in the position and recognize that this is way more difficult and complex than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it seems to me like a lot of times people want the spoils of leadership without the responsibility of it. And we have this kind of imagined idea of what leadership will look like. And once we get the experience of it, it it's quite different. And it's we find that leadership is bigger than just ourselves. Um, and that kind of creates a paradigm shift. And some people fight against that paradigm shift and try to just hold on to the power dynamics, which has created a lot of issues in our culture and our society with what it what leaders are, what it looks like um, to lead. I think that's absolutely right. I think, uh, you know, my whole point and why I wanted to be in charge was about me. And when you go into something like that for yourself, it's never going to work well. You have to have the the there, the cause that you guys talked about. You know, what, what am I going is, – is it I want people to follow and do what I say or do I want them to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, to achieve something greater than ourselves? And, and that's the difference. When people want to be in charge just because they want to make it about me or do they want to make it about something greater than ourselves and make it about the team? Do I see myself as a servant or do I see everyone serving me? So the, the the paradigm, of course, I think as 
we look at leadership from an outside perspective would be, I want to be at the top of the pyramid. I just want to move up that corporate ladder to be at the top of the pyramid when the reality is the guy at the top should be the one serving everyone in the organization. So it's the pyramid turned upside down and I am now at the bottom of the pyramid serving everyone in whatever organization I might be a part of. Right. We talked in episode one about redefining effective leadership and trying to flip that pyramid upside down. And your book, Dave, is called Servant Leadership. And so it's to try to really push this idea that the responsibilities of leadership are not just for me so that I can collect all of the treasures of affirmation and whatever else might come with it. Uh, But it's a position in which I can serve others and I can help to initiate, to empower others towards the the visions of their own lives and the visions of our organization. So Dave, how have you seen that play out in your in your roles? Well, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that there is two types of leadership. There's uh, you know there's positional or formal leadership and then there's informal leadership. So regardless of whether you're in a leadership position or not, you're a leader. I think everybody is leading because as you defined leadership in your last uh, episode, there is influencing, um, influencing others. We're all influencing others whether or not we're in a formal position to do it or not. And I think early on when I looked at, well, I'm not in a leadership position, so I'm not a leader. Well, that wasn't true. Because I was still, I was married, I was a husband, and that's uh, actually a formal position. But I was also leading the people around me through my own personal example. So it's important to point out that in Scripture, when Paul talks about these spiritual gifts and he talks about leadership, he says, if you're going to lead, lead with diligence. And that word diligence is is a very important word because it it says you got to lead with caution because you're always leading. You're either leading for good or you're going to lead for bad. And that's happening through how you do life. Nobody will ever probably come up to you and say, hey, you're, you're, you're a great leader and in influencing me to get there. No, that's probably not going to happen. But what people are doing is observing your actions and seeing how well you do at things and whether or not they're going to use you as that role model or not with that referent influence maybe. So I think uh, when we look at leadership from an outside perspective and say, well, I'm not the manager, so I'm not a leader, or I'm not the parent, so I'm not a leader, no, you're a leader. You're, you are a leader. It's the choice is yours and whether you're going to lead for good or bad because you're always leading. That's that's really great, Dave. I, uh, I want to come back to something that you said. You mentioned referent influence, and I think that it's really important to delineate the different types of influence um, that are at work in our lives. Can you... Uh, sort of give us a little bit of a framework or a layout for the different types of influence there are and how we can steward those types of influence in order to lead well? Sure, yeah. Um, when, when we look at influence and we're influencing others, influence is going to come in a lot of different forms. And, and one of the first forms is positional. And you guys talked about it last time, but if you're a, a parent, you have positional authority. If you are an elected official or uh, a service member, um, if you are in a a management position at work, you have positional authority. So you have some influence based on the position you have. But it's important to point out with all influence, it's all in the eye of the beholder. So if somebody doesn't see me in a position of authority, 
I will not have positional influence with them. So uh, what you see a lot in our culture uh, in the news media today is protests and anti-police protests. So if you don't see police in a position of authority, you're probably not going to respect that position. If you don't see a politician in a position of authority, then they don't have that positional authority with you. The same goes with your manager or with a parent. If I don't respect them in their position, then that that authority or that influence isn't going to be there. Uh, another one is uh, coercive, and coercive, of course, gets a very bad rap because it's uh, I was coerced to do this. It sounds very negative, and reality is, uh, as you pointed out, that as a parent, we use this all the time: "Little Johnny, clean your room, or else." Right? It's the it's the power of negative consequences. I can punish or take something away. Very often interrelated with positional authority, but coercive authority or influence rather is it comes from having that ability to take something away. So if I don't see you in the having that ability or that influence with me, then you don't have it. And of course, we can gain a lot more coercive influence if we'll just follow through with our threats. If I tell little Johnny he's going to be grounded if he doesn't clean his room. Well, if I don't ever ground little Johnny and follow through with that punishment, I'm going to I'm going to lose that influence over time because he's not going to believe it. And the same holds true where if I will follow through, I'll actually gain more of it. But if I overuse it, and this is what new leaders do all the time, is what and I did this myself, you know, when when I got put into a leadership position, it was all about me, and the only influence I thought I really felt like I had because I wasn't an expert necessarily, but I had the ability to punish or take things away from people. And new managers, new leaders, they'll often overuse coercive influence because that's their go-to. It makes them feel strong. If I yell a little louder, people will listen to me. And you end up abusing that type of influence, and then you end up losing it because after a while, people just become numb to the beating. So they don't even care anymore. So it's yours to lose. Uh, The third type is Reward, reward influence, so reward power, which works very similarly to coercive. And again, this is very much abused in our culture today where, you know, I'm little Johnny, if you clean your room, you'll get a cookie. Well, if you go and play on play a sport, you'll get a trophy. Well, everybody gets a trophy. Well, that's overuse. And because of that, the trophy means a lot less than it used to mean where there was one winner. And the same thing holds true. How are you today? Or the, the, the cursory good job. Is it a good job? What is an excellent job then? If everything is a good job and it's just meeting the standard, we have to say good job. And reality is that that good job loses the impact that it used to have. But if I see you in a position of reward, ability to reward, and you have that influence with me, and you tell me I'm going to get something, for doing something, then I don't follow through with it, I could lose that reward influence. But if I overuse it or abuse it, I'm also going to lose that reward influence. So if I want to gain more, if I want to be more influential with reward power, I have to follow through. But I want that reward, specifically if it's a good job, I want it to be true and personal to that person and make it count. Kylie, good job on setting up this podcast. This really made a difference in how this is all coming together, right? Then, then that reward or that positive stroke, as psychologists call it, then it actually means something. But if I just say good job every time I talk to you, 
it really doesn't mean as much. The fourth one is expert. So expert power or influence, you know, we see somebody, they don't have to be in a position to do anything here. All it is is they've demonstrated the expertise that other people are going to come to them for advice. So you know if you have expert influence with others. If people are emailing you or texting you or calling you for advice at certain things, right? So if you're a, uh, if you're a parent and people are calling you for parenting advice, you probably have some expert influence with them. If you're the subject matter expert in your field and people are constantly calling and, and asking uh, questions of you, then you know you have expert influence. Now, you could be the leading expert in your field and nobody calls and nobody asks questions of you. Well, it's one of two things then. One, you haven't demonstrated that you are the expert so people don't recognize it, so they don't see it. Or you put up some barrier to communication between you and them. So you're somebody that, yeah, you may know a lot, but nobody wants to deal with you because you have a weak emotional quotient. You don't have empathy. You know, you're hard to talk to. They have to walk on eggshells. You're not in control of your emotions. Some kind of barrier to communication is there where you never have your door open or you're not available. So it's either one or two things. You either have it or you don't. And if you think you have it or should have it, then why don't you? Well, I can do the little moment of truth with myself and recognize either I haven't demonstrated it or people don't want to be around me. And finally, the, the, the fifth and most important, I guess the most influential type of influence or power is referent. And this is where people want to be like you simply because of how you do life and how you, how you go through and, and handle your emotions or how you go through your physical fitness. And this is about being intentional. So referent power people, these people out there that we want to be like, this is really amazing how this works. In fact, I'll, I'll just give you a, a quick vignette. Uh, I had a guy that worked with me whose brother, he went through Navy SEAL training. And as he's going through SEAL training, there is uh, a culture often in the military, this junior high boys locker room type culture where uh, guys can get pretty vulgar and, and uh, uh, brag about or make up lies about sexual exploits and things like this. And it's, it's, really, it's, it's really kind of a a culture of debauchery in some social settings. And he didn't want to be a part of that. So you had the main group of guys all always off to the side talking and, and making things up and and uh, cursing and things like that. Well, to him, that wasn't how to do life. So he would spend his time by himself getting ready for that next phase of training. And every phase of training he would go through, he would end up being one of the top people in the class. And one, finally, what happened is one of the guys from the group broke off and came over to him and said, you know, I, there's something different about you. What is it? What's, what's different about you? And that opened a door for him to share his, uh, his perspective on life and his perspective on, on his creator and change that other man's life, that he didn't have to give in to the culture of debauchery that was happening. He could actually do things different and could lead through his own his own uh, actions. And that's really what referent power is, is where we do things differently. And many times, unfortunately, it's countercultural. It's where we go out and we're, we're going to work on physical fitness. We're going to work on managing our finances and our spiritual relationship. We're going to be constantly working on our mental and emotional quotients. And 
EQ, IQ kind of stuff. We're going to be working on our social relationships. And we do all this well. And pretty soon, people are going to come to you and say, you know, there's something different about you. And what's different is you're doing life different than most people. These people, they, they radiate this inner light, these people with a lot of reverent power for us. You can see these people all over. The, they may be at your church. They may be the clerk at the grocery store. They're always happy. They're always smiling. They're always, Why? Because they're doing life differently. They're not getting caught up in the minutia of Facebook where we have to say, you're either for me or you're against me kind of thing. No, no, no. They're going to do life differently, and that's attractive. So we'll go to them and, and look at them, and they'll become a role model for us because they're intentional with life. They're intentional with what they're doing in life, and we, we want some of that. They look happy. They look content. They look joyful. And so we're, we're going to model parts or many parts of our lives after what they do. And you may have referent influence with some people. You probably do in some areas of life. But wouldn't it be great to be intentional about all these different facets of life and be that person that just people want to be like? You probably had a role model growing up. And that role model is somebody that you really wanted to be like. Well, that person had referent power with you. For most people, it's a parent or a, or a grandparent or a teacher. And we pick out those aspects of their personalities or what they do day in and day out. And we want to be like that. So it's important to remember that as you're leading or influencing others to get there, how you do that is through your own personal example. So instead of me sitting back and saying, boy, I really wish I was in charge, and then getting to be in charge and recognizing that maybe I'm not living up to all these different aspects of leadership that I thought I should be. Well, it's time to become intentional. It's time to put some structures in place to help me be that person. What structures can I put in place in my life to help me be more intentional with what I'm doing so I can lead with diligence? I hope that answered your question. Absolutely. That's great, Dave. We, uh, you know, the rest of this season, this season is called How to Lead. We're going to be talking about the structures that you can put in place for yourself. But I really love what you're saying because one of the examples we constantly use is when we were working with the world race, we would show, we showed up to training camp. And um, when the participants found out that there's going to be team leaders decided upon by the end of the week, it became this giant like um, performance. Yeah, like like a talent <laughs> show almost to to try to convince us to put them into those to those positions. And and I even had one of the women on our on our squad tell me, "I want your job." <laughs> and so I think it's what you're talking about, where we are looking at at people in positional leadership through the, that glass box you're talking about, and saying, I would do things different if it were my turn when I'm there. And we spend so much of our life just trying to penetrate that bubble and get into that, get into the top of that pyramid, get to that inside that glass box our, ourselves. And what I think is sad and, and maybe even dangerous about that is that we neglect our own character. We neglect our own ability to influence in the different ways that you're talking about because we're vying for these types of positions. So Dave, the the all these five types of influence, are they things that you are 
just kind of constantly aware of? Are they more of a framework for self-awareness or um, is it a thing where you would recommend that a person really be intentional about using each of these like in their turn, like maybe building up towards referent power from position? Like, I guess what I'm thinking is that all of this is happening and available to people on a daily basis. What advice would you give to a person about how do I discern when to use what and how to steward um, all five of these? Yeah, great question. <clears throat> yeah, so you, you have you may have positional influence with some, one person and have referent influence with another and have expert influence with another person. It just depends on where they are in life and where you are in life. It's important to point out we're all further down the road in life than someone else at something. So you're going to have some influence there with something. And that could give you that expert influence or maybe you have a different position that uh, they respect and they want that position or would like to uh, like to see you as a role model in that position. Or maybe it's just an all-encompassing how you do life referent influence thing. So when we look at it, <clears throat> we don't know necessarily – what influence we have with different people because nobody's going to come up to you and say, boy, you have a lot of referent influence with me. We may never know what type of <laughs> role model we actually are for others. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I was just talking about this the other day. I never really recognized the referent influence I had with people. Um, one of the last jobs I had in the military before, uh, I would say about three years before, four years before I retired, I was a first sergeant, which I meant I had about 110 people, 120 people. And um, the guys would walk around and WWFD. And I, I had no idea what they're talking about. And uh, um, one day I just finally asked, what do you guys mean when you say this WWFD thing? He said, well, what would first sergeant do? So they, they, that's how they were making their decisions was based on what they thought I might do. And that was like that, – that really felt – that was a big boost there, right? I mean I, I recognized then that I had a little bit more influence with these guys than I thought I did and the people that were around me that were actually saying that because that's how they were what, – what's the right decision to make here? Well, what would First Sergeant do? And I had no idea what that meant. It was uh, many months into the deployment before I actually figured it out and asked the question. But that told me something there. I have to be careful because they're basing their actions on what I would do. So I can lead for good or I can lead with bad. So I better lead with diligence. And I recognized then how big that uh, and how clear that glass house is that leaders are in. People can see everything we do for good or bad. And if we do the bad – we could be influencing in the wrong direction. I think one one of the great paradoxes of leadership is that you do it more effectively by kind of letting go of it in a sense, um, in, at least in terms of our own character development. It's one of those things where if we try to develop our character in order to impress people, that's not really going to turn out to be referent influence. But if we pursue our own sense of character and our vision for ourselves, then people are are going to see that and be drawn to it. We have a similar story to what you're talking about, about Kylie. Kylie uh, mentors a set of women at the college, and she had this hilarious text exchange. That's not even the right word. But one of the girls texted her and said, hey, this was going on, and I was about to 
call you and ask you. And then I, I was like, oh, Kylie's going to say this. And then <laughs> I, and then the girl was like, and then I'm going to get defensive and I would say this. And so this woman had like walked through an entire conversation with Kylie before she even had it. And it was because she just like knew who Kylie was and how she operates and the way that she thinks and, and the way that she herself has boundaries set up in her life, the way that she herself is trying the best that she can to uh, pursue a vision for her life. And so if we talk about leadership as the crossroad between character and influence, um, we really have to be mindful that it's not a performance thing. It's a honest trying to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And for me, when I, I was a youth pastor for many years, and there would be times when there, it still happens. Somebody will will uh, send me a message on social media or an email quoting something that I said 10 years ago in a youth group session that I've long forgotten. And it gives me that feeling like you're saying, Dave, of like, I've got to be very aware of, of what I'm doing, what I'm saying around these kids, because they're remembering it. They're they're internalizing it and it's having an effect on them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of those things too where <clears throat> it's kind of like happiness. You know, I want to be a I want to have great values or I want to be a great leader. So we strive to do that thing. But if the reason to be a great leader is because I want to be seen as a great leader, you'll never be a great leader. It's one of those dichotomies or paradoxes in life. And, and life is full of these things where I want to be happy, so I strive to make me happy. And usually what that means is we're trying to fulfill our own personal appetites. And whenever we're doing for me, you will never be fulfilled. You'll never be happy. Happiness is kind of a symptom. It's kind of a side effect of pursuing something greater than yourself or loving someone other than yourself. And that's a, you know, Viktor Frankl talked about that in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And the same is true for if you're trying to uh, be successful. It's the same thing. Well, if I want to be successful or happy, then I need to do these things for me. I need to have the right car or the right title. And that's not true. That's not true at all. You'll never be happy. You'll never be successful by trying to pursue things for yourself. You'll never be that great leader You'll never have that effective leadership that we're trying to achieve here that we're talking about today by trying to do it for you. So everybody will look at me differently. When you go into it with a servant's heart, when you go into it to serve others, to help them, to transform the organization in the pursuit of something great other than yourself, then you'll actually find that effective leadership. You'll find that transformational leadership. I think one of the things that happens, especially maybe in, in kind of Christian circles, is we have this, we've internalized this uh, me or they narrative, where if I don't pursue my appetites, if I don't pursue what's best for me, then I have to completely like obliterate my own sense of self in order to like serve somebody else. So if I'm getting anything out of anything, that's a sin, that's negative. And so Dave, talk a little bit about uh, me versus we and how participating in we is actually the best way uh, to be who we, who I truly am myself. Yeah, it's so strange. We, we've all done something for other people or some charitable organization. We've served at the soup kitchen. We've done Habitat for Humanity. We've given of our time, of our money, uh, our blood, our sweat, our tears. We've done this and we know the feeling that we get from doing for others. 
and how fulfilling it actually is, the happiness we find when doing it. And yet we'll tell ourselves, well, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't give as much of myself to others. I need to do me. I just need to love me more. Now, that's never an issue. Let me promise you that. Uh, you, you love yourself more than enough. <laughs> it's doing for others is where you actually find it. So again, it's doing the best, doing, serving others. I want to do what's best for me. Well, doing what's best for others is always what's best for me. 100% of the time. Not 99% of the time. Not this one time I just needed to do this for myself. No, if you want what's best for you, what's best for you is doing what's best for them. Every time. If you'll do what's best for them in their best interest, you're actually doing what's best for you. And you're actually going to be fulfilled. It's not going to be about the title. It's going to be about serving others. It's going to be about watching them grow and develop. And that's transformational. You're actually going to have more influence. It's just one of those weird dichotomies in life where I want what's best for me. Well, what's best for me is doing what's best for you all of the time, 100%. So I can look at serving myself or I can look at serving others. When I look at serving others, I actually get fulfillment for myself. When I look at serving me, I might get a temporary fix. I might be fulfilling that personal appetite. It's never going to be in my best interest, though. It's going to take me down a road of addiction. It's going to take me down a road of whatever it may be, debauchery, and I'm going to end up in a, in a worse place. So looking at others, looking at the, the, the big picture, the bigger cause, the mission, serving the mission and serving other people is always what's best for me. I love that. Um, I actually, like, as I'm thinking about it, though, in my head, like, it's not just about you doing what's best for others. We all have to have that mindset in order for us to actually um, have the mission that we are pursuing come to fruition. Um, because if you're doing what's best for others, but everybody else is doing what's best for me, um, then it's not going to be effective. And so every single one of us needs to have a we mindset, um, an others-focused mindset. Uh, and we also have to be aware that um, I'm thinking, like, what is best for me? Like, I might not actually, like, what I think is best for me might not actually be what is best for me. And so I need other people to come around and share their perspective um, and share what they see. So like, Dave, you talk to me and you say like, hey, Kylie, like, actually, like, you've got really poor boundaries. And maybe what's best for you is to set up better boundaries. I might not see that as what's best for me. And so I need somebody to come alongside me to help to point out my blind spots so that I'm actually better able to steward my character and my role within the organization better too. Yeah, that's really good. Because I think, uh, you know, our, our personal current reality, right? We're so bad at knowing where we are in life, knowing how good we are at something. In fact, almost always, we will overestimate our contributions to the team. Why do we do that? Well, because we see our contributions to the team in everything we do. But what we don't see is 100% of what everybody else is doing. So if I have a partner on a, in, in, a, in an organization, we're both working on a, on a project, whether it's in college, we're working on our uh, group project, and 
of course, I think I'm doing more for the team than everyone else is. Of course I do because I see my contribution. So we always overestimate our contribution. In fact, uh, some funny research that was done, they interviewed husbands and wives and several hundred of husbands and wives, and they asked them individually, what percentage of the housework do you do? And the average percentage was 130%. So the wife and the husband both <laughs> overestimated their contribution to the team. We do that all the time. So we're really bad at knowing our current reality and, and where we think we are, how good we are at something, who should be doing what, and, and why we're doing so much and others aren't. So not having somebody to walk with in life, a good friend, somebody to walk shoulder and shoulder with us to help us recognize our strengths and help us recognize our weaknesses and things we need to work on is really detrimental because you have some amazing gifts. Everyone listening out there, hear this. You are you have some awesome gifts and you don't even recognize them as awesome gifts. You don't even know you have them because they come so easy to you. That's why there's gifts. You've been given them and they just come so easy to you, you wouldn't even recognize them as these awesome, amazing gifts. You have to have somebody to tell you that. You have to have somebody around you that's going to let you know, man, you're really good at this. Oh, I am? I didn't. Why? Why don't I recognize it? Because it comes so easy to me. What do I think I'm good at? The things I'm working on the hardest. Well, the reason you're working on the hardest is because you're not good at them. And then you think you're better at them than you are because you're putting a bunch of time and effort and possibly money into them to the point you're trying to make them better and shore them up. And that's a great thing to do. But the reason you're doing it is because you're not good at them. So don't overestimate how good you are at the things you're working on and know the things that you are really good at. So having somebody in your life like Kylie's talking about that can share those truths with you is really important. If you don't have that in your life, I'd really recommend you find somebody out there that you can trust and you can that they can trust you to share that truth with one another. Just knowing your current reality makes it so much easier to get from where you are, you're here, to where you're trying to go. If we're truly trying to influence others to get there, well, that's great if we know what the there is. But if we don't know where we are, and most of us don't, then it's really hard to get from here to there. That's really great. And that's a great setup for our next episode where we're going to be talking about vision and how to start with a there. Because what we're really saying throughout this episode is that human beings are created for community. We thrive in togetherness. So leadership is sort of the hinge of that togetherness where we influence one another, where our character comes in contact with the character of other people. And we sort of synergize this thing that's greater than the sum of our parts. And the beginning of that process, we're going to be getting into it throughout the rest of the season, but the beginning of that process is having a shared understanding of vision, what we're aiming for and what we're heading at. And that is what we'll be talking about next time. Thank you so much for joining us, Dave. Um, we always learn something new from you every time we talk to yeah. you and really value Um the expert power that you have when it comes to leadership. Um, so that's all. <laughs> Smooth landing. Well, yeah, thank you for having me. And the same goes, you know, it's whenever you can talk about this stuff with somebody around you and having that friend we just talked about, the more verbal processing you do, the more you learn from one another, the more epiphanies you have. And you, you've just taken another step towards that 
expertise in, in leadership or effective leadership. So I, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's, it's an absolute honor to be here and get to talk to you guys and, and your audience about this. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Crossroad Podcast. The world is out there waiting for you to become the best leader you can possibly be. We hope our conversations have helped. For more, please visit our website, thecrossroad.net.